another video from theplanetsaid.com. My name's Alexander. And I'm Grant. And today we're doing our monthly debrief for a extremely late October. This video is brought to you by Noble Night Games. Our uh, friends, Noble Night Games. The sponsor of our channel. Uh, a bit more <coughs> from them later on. Uh, but October feels like it was an age away, because mm -hmm. it was. Uh, <laughs> we're almost, not quite, but maybe only halfway through November when we're recording this. Yeah. Uh, and it just... We've done a lot of stuff, and so it just feels like that was a mm -hmm. long time ago. But I think we played a few games, is what I would say. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like our Dungeons & Dragons or Hackmaster campaign is kind of cutting into our time. Yeah. I'm feeling the squeeze on that more and more. And I, I think we had a discussion about it. I'm in, while I'm enjoying the system, I'm not in love with the system. Yes. And partly for me, I'm like, I'd rather be playing war games. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going to put the crunch into it, I'd rather be playing war games, but yes, we'll, we'll keep Which going completely because it's our friends and our yeah. family and we have a good time generally. It's still fun, but yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like it's like, oh, we're going to play this and this and this. And it's like, we really only have like two games. Two or three, yeah. Three at the most in a month now, instead the, of like five. Well, Saturdays have become much more harder for me because of it's, it's in yeah. the season where Color Guard is ongoing. And our Friday nights have been interrupted now by Hackmaster, so... All that being said, in October, we still played a few games. We uh, did. So, uh, we had uh, friends down earlier on in the month. Yep. Mike Heckman came over from St. Louis, and Ed Bryan, who's a local, came over, and we did a full-player game of John Company, which was your first game. It was, it was. And I think it was Ed's <clears throat> first game as well. I think it was, but yeah. Mike and I had played it twice at WBC. So you've now played, with that game was your third. Yes. And then we also played. Well, subsequently played it. So I've played this four times now. And it's it's becoming a favorite of mine. I really, really enjoy it. It's got everything that I like in a game that is sure. like fighting. Well, it's got negotiation. Yes. A little bit of deception. A little bit of cooperation. Like real table, like real table talk. talk. Yeah, because there's table talk in other games, but it's mostly just smack talking to each other. This sure. Is like, we have to come to a decision about this, and like, or I need help doing this. Please help me, or like, do this. If you're gonna like be rude about it, like this will come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and and it's such a loose game where like everything's up for grabs. Mm -hmm. Figuring out how to do all of that and like what the value of stuff is at any given moment. Yeah. That's challenging, but it is really fun when you start getting it. Well, and, and I do, th I will say this, at your comment there, after two plays, I feel like I do now understand the value of certain things. Yes. I, I still don't understand everything, but I do, okay, I got to at least get some inroad into these kind of things. Yes. And the concept of the game is, or maybe the antithesis of the game is keeping the company alive, Right keeping it out of bankruptcy so that you can mill as much profit and prestige and power from it as possible, retiring your family members to create a legacy, a lasting legacy. And you're typically <clears throat> trying to fight at least one player who's not interested in doing that. Because they may not have shares in the company, or they may have or other designs. Have offices, and, and, or they may just like have divested their portfolio and... They've started to buy a lot of workshops, which yeah. they're worth a lot. If, if the, company the company fails. Tanks, so they're yeah. like, cool. 
but then you get into like, well, we're not going to do anything for you because you're working against us. Yeah. And then they're like, now I definitely am. And you've just yeah. put the nail in the coffin. And they, it's, so, so it's a balance. So it's it's a balance. And I, 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 I kind of joke with you because my two plays, the company has failed miserably, like crashed and burned yes. in the third turn. And I would like to play a game maybe where we get a little further, maybe to the fourth or fifth yes. turn and experience a company that's paying some dividends and doing well. It and feels real good to make a lot uh, of money. It feels see, and real I, good. I have not experienced that yeah. yet. But junk but company is fantastic design. Great. I think it looks good. It's fun. It's interesting. It's unique. I enjoy it. So Plus, it's multiplayer. And then we played Fallen Land that same day. Yep. Uh, which Another big game. We'd only ever played two-player. Yep. Uh, and so to play a four-player was a cool experience or something very different. There's like a video about this coming out as well. And this is the, okay, this is the second edition yep. from Fallen Dominion Studios. And basically, basically, there's like a whole extra expansion that they did with it. Yeah, it's called kind of, Journey in the Dark. And then this is like the shop or something, the merchants or something. Uh, right, trading with, but yeah, this, yeah. Uh, they kind of it's all included. Yep. Refreshed everything. It's much nicer than the past edition. Oh yeah. Well, and I, I, I love this game because it's a narrative style game. Yes. You're pulling cards. You're reading cards, which represent encounters. And the little pulpy stories. Yep. And it's got every trope. Every pulp fiction from pulp every post-apocalyptic ever. All the sci-fi. All the fan. Like all the, the zombie. The horror. Everything. But it's just, a, it's, a, it's a blast. It's a light blast that plays in about 45 minutes per player. So you're going to be at it for three or four hours. But it's fun. It's interesting. There is a little bit of downtime. You know, we, we've talked about yeah. that. I don't know. I've enjoyed it. We've played it a couple of times, and I've really enjoyed it. And I'm glad to have this new edition, which is available. You can get this from Fallen Dominion Studios. And you can play it solo. So if you yep. just want to kind of potter around with it and, like, Take your time and enjoy all that stuff. Yeah. With, I presume, very little to no downtime. You can do that. Yes. But yeah, we played that on the same day as John Company. It was kind of a big day. It was a whole oh. day. I also played, um, we played a very short game of uh, Fire in the Lake that night as well. I ah. partnered around with that and played that for a bit. So that was fun to kind of, again, introduce someone to it who hadn't really done that before. Sure. Always like Fire in the Lake. It's a wonderful yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, also, we played together... Uh, a new game, Road to Independence, The American Revolution. This is from uh, the historical game company, printed by Blue Panther. This is a very light, fun, and interesting game that uses a combat me or a, a mechanic with custom dice to basically do combat. And that mechanic is similar to Elder Sign. Yes. Right? Yes. That we've played. It's the Yahtzee style, but custom dice where you roll the pool of dice and you, you can complete, match symbols. Lines, yeah. And then you roll them again and you complete another one. So it's very fast paced. Yeah. But it's got fun decision making in it and it's uh, not a, supposed to be. A it plays in about 60 to 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's very tough for the British to win this one. And everyone I spoke to who played it agreed. Yeah. But it, I, I think it's a good-looking game, well-produced. The dice are absolutely gorgeous. They're custom. They're engraved, so they're not very nice, yeah. silk-printed or stickered. So it's a very nice production, and I think there's a 
at least a couple of other games that they've talked about coming out. So they, because they have the French and Indian version, which is the first one. Which of I these. never even heard no, of that one. No. They keep mentioning that, but I'm like, where is that? And they have an, w- at least one more after this. I don't know what it okay. is, though. Yeah, not really no, I, sure. No, I, don't, I don't know. If we know. But that, that's a fun game. It's on Blue Panther. I've done some written content on it. We did a video review that was out on the blog or the channel. At San Diego uh, absolutely. Cool J- Jason Matthews played it and said it was fantastic. So it, it is a good game. It's not just us. Very unique and interesting. We Okay. We played Arden 2. We did. I we forgot about that. That was this month or last month. Yeah, this month is so, kind of... We, we played that just last we, weekend or two weekends ago. Yeah. All right, Arden 2 uh, from Multiman Publishing. This is um, a standard combat series game, SCS. And that is a system that we have played a couple of now mm-hmm. and liked. And just bought a couple more over yeah. there from our friends at Noble Knight. <laughs> this was a big two-mapper. So this was the biggest mm-hmm. SCS game that we've played together. Yeah. And it had a lot of counters in it. Um, there's a full video review on the channel. There was a couple of like production issues with the reinforcement schedule and maybe some of the color choices of counters. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, the, the mechanics... Love it. The mm-hmm. gameplay was really good. What we were doing was great. Just the reinforcement schedule messed up strategically what could or would have happened. Uh, but the game itself is, with those little fixes, got the errata. It's, well, and, it's and very good. This is a remake of the, the game that came out like in 1994, I want to say. 93, 94. So this is number two, or Den 2. So it's a remake, and it's not just a, re, a new edition. They've actually changed the art on the board it's and the counters. Looks very good. But they've also added uh, some updated rules and mechanics. So the artillery is very different. Yeah. Um, the artillery typically in standard combat series will actually inflict reductions, right? If you yeah, roll well enough. Or the DG market. Right. This one, which is very unique, it affects combat and defense and movement values if your barrages are successful. Very unique. They added the traffic uh, hexes in this one. Yeah. There were a couple of other things. I'm, I'm drawing a blank the, now. But Part of all that is that this is at a much smaller scale than a lot of the other SCS games. Got it. That we've played, at least. So when we look at things like, like I played Africa and we played Rostov 41, those are at such a high level that you don't get into that granularity of, like, this gun fired this yeah like gave a modifier to movement like at the other scale it's either like it, it either disorganizes or it did some damage yeah because it's such a high level so it was very interesting to see this system in a different in really quite a different setting mm-hmm. and it was wonderful it was great and it's again there's a big old video review on this one too. well I, we continue to love the standard combat series yes. in fact love it so much that i Went on our friends at Noble Knights, and I got Stalingrad Pocket, which was the first game in the series, correct? Isn't that what we've decided? So, yeah. Because it's 1A, or 1B now, because this is a... This one's the one... Oh, is this one 1B? No, this is 1A. 1A, okay. But I think this has gone through a couple of iterations, maybe. And then Iron Curtain, which is a big World War III game. Cold War gone, gone hot, but... We, we ended up getting both of these because I, I have enjoyed the standard combat series so much that 
these are the two that we don't have, and I'm like, look, we need to get those. And these are also, like, SCS is such a good system for solo play as well. Yeah. Because it's, I go, you go, and you just do the best that you can, and then you kind of sit on the other side of the table and do it again. So this actually says it's a second edition. Yes, which I think instead of... That's why it's A. One, it's one One A. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Three to 15 hours playing time. So smaller scenarios. Right. But that's also not dis- this that's not dissimilar from Arden. Arden's about forty five minutes or an hour per turn, sixteen turns. Got so it. And we played good. what? Six, eight of those? Yes. You played two without me. Yes. Kind of got through the first slogging movement and then yeah. we played like five or six turns. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this one. I'll definitely clip it and, and definitely looking forward to this one. As well. It's just it's a great system. Oh, More it's fantastic. Of that will show up on our channel as time goes on. Yeah. Very cool. But love the standard combat series. Did I do anything else? I don't think I did anything else. Well, so I played... The only solitaire game that I played this month, and none of my stuff's in the box because it's still set up, this is that Others May Live Combat Search and Rescue Missions in Vietnam from Holland Spiel. So this is the same designer, Brad Smith, who did the NATO solitaire game from what? NATO Air Commander. Four or five years ago. Three or four years ago. 19, but very, very, good. very unique and interesting solitaire game where you're literally going in to rescue down pilots uh, in the Vietnamese uh, jungles. So you have choppers, you have different aircraft, you have fast movers that can provide napalm support to suppress and destroy guns. And this is one of those games you'll play a scenario and at any time, if that s- survivor dies, you lose. So I've lost that way at least once. I've also lost because most of my airplanes got shot down. Um, but it's it's unique. It's fun. It's interesting. I still haven't grokked it that well, grokked it enough to do a video, but I'm, I'm getting there, so I'm making progress. But it's really interesting. I've enjoyed it quite a lot, as I do almost all of those games from Holland Steel, Spiel, frank, frankly. I think the rest of the games that were played... It, it was all stuff on Rally the Truth. Well, and I've become officially addicted. Yes. Thank you, Alexander, You're for welcome. ruining my life. So it's it's all the so. classics on there, things like Andy and Abyss, uh, Time of Crisis, play a lot of that. I play a lot of Wilderness War on there. I play Field of the Cloth of Gold, which is very cool. Red Flag over Paris we've played a Paris, couple times. Which I think I'm... I think... Starting to get it. Only as the Versailles player do I feel <laughs> like now... And I've been away for a week. That like, I I kind of understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Got it. I'm a terrible commune player. It's like not even funny. But I'm in a game of Hammer of the Scots. And I played that at least once or twice. I, I'm I'm also in a game of Rommel in the Desert, but I also don't really know what I'm doing in that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's. So I have a a lot of games going on. I think I have 18 games right now going on. Yeah. And I didn't take my moves this morning. I meant to get up a little earlier, so I feel bad. People yeah, are cursing my name. That's something that I have continued to do and mm-hmm. that will continue going forward. It's a great way. Yeah, they've got a limited selection, but it's it's a great way to play You know, a very small amount of variety of games. Mm-hmm. But if you like those games, it's an excellent way to play those and play a lot of them yeah. as well. And there's tons of people on there. People jump into games all the time. You will not have a difficult time in finding a game, yes. frankly. So, yeah, I think that's all that we played. 
I think so too. In October. Still, that's, that's well, and, and then we played Hackmaster a couple of times, yeah. which, you know, it, it's a neat system. It's just, I don't know. I'd I, rather play Pathfinder. I think currently, here's what I feel about that. It's currently I'm playing the system, whereas we play Pathfinder so much that I was playing the role playing game. Because yeah. I wasn't thinking about the system. That's a good. Because it's like, you know, and that's how a lot of games are, but it's just taking a long time to like. How many sessions have we played now? Five or six? Yeah, something like that. And so it's I, just, it's, I think I'm finally getting combat. It's, yeah. But the skills system is just very challenging. Yeah, and it's ve- it's got a lot of minutiae in it of, yeah. of what each thing does and trying to, and there's so many. Yeah, it's. Yeah. We're getting there, but. Eventually. So, upcoming in November... What are we going to play? Uh, we've already been to San Diego Historicon, so I'm not going to pretend that we haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there we're going to play the big celebrity game of Liberty, Liberty or Death! We played John Company. Yep. And everything else was prototypes of games which are upcoming, basically. Yep. Uh, and so, yep. go watch the video about that. Yeah, I don't think we need those. to talk about that a Especially whole lot. Especially all of the prototypes, it's... Yeah, a lot of fantastic stuff, though, yes. frankly. And there's, and there's videos of different interviews from different designers coming up on a channel, so yeah. you can see some more detail about some of those as well. Big games that we're looking at this month is the Russian campaign. GMT edition. Yes. this is Not the, the Compass edition. This is the, uh, the original 1974 read on my Compass, which I have, but we have the GMT 5th edition, but it's just underneath this table. Set up. We're going to play it after this. And then we're going to, this is all punched, clipped, and organized and ready to go. This is North Africa 41, the newest uh, 4X, you know, the the 40X series. Although this one is quite divergent right. from that. I think it's it's different and it's unique. It's a remake of one of his old games that had a different name. I don't know what it was. But yeah, it, it, I mean, I'm very excited about this. It looks wonderful. It does. So we're, we're definitely going to give it a go. It's a big two-mapper. And I like I like a good African game. I just think it's sure. really interesting about like the supply puzzle of it. The supply is always very fascinating, uh, and this one has a lot of different pieces for supply, from trucks to boats to planes. I mean, there's just all kinds of. And then you got the strategic supply coming in through Malta, like yeah, even get there. And then you've got separate standing supply sources that will deplete, kind of like Holland Forty Four, yeah. where you drop them in. So very interesting. Very much looking forward to that. And then, so those two big ones, then I think we're going to try to get to uh, 1944 D-Day to the Rhine, which is from Worthington Games. Uh, we played their Bulge one. Really a light, system. good game. Yes. And this ha- this adds um, aircraft to it, which yep. the other one didn't have, uh, especially on the dice. This is at a much bigger scale yep. than that is, so I'm curious to see if or how that changes anything. But yep. I liked that system because it was you could play a bulge game in two hours. Yeah. And well, the the best part is it has custom dice, right? And you're you're rolling dice, looking for the NATO symbol markers that match the things you're trying to hit, right? So you're attacking, or maybe it's the other way around. No, no, yeah, yeah. So if you're attacking infantry, you're looking for infantry hits, and it's what you're attacking with. with (coughs) Yeah, yeah. But it's the custom dice you're trying to roll. Very unique, very interesting. Keeps it simple. Yep, keeps it simple. Throw your dice and do your move. But I'm I'm excited to play that one. So and we'll play that in a in an afternoon, you know, two hours. Yeah, that's a game that you can kind of squeeze in with some other short format games. Another game we we tried to play in the airport. We didn't get very far because the rules are kind of bad. 
I would like to give it one more go because I think there's an interesting little quick playing game here. I would yeah. just like to. A little very abstract little card yeah. game. So this is called Entrenched, and it was off a of Kickstarter. I think I paid 22 bucks for it. Uh, Daedalus Creations. Nice art. I mean, I, I saw some people complain that it looked like World War II. That looks like World War II, but some of the other ones definitely are World War I. Yeah. I'm not sure what this is. I, it definitely looks like an American helmet, doesn't it? It does. I don't know what it's supposed yeah. to be. So anyway, we're going to give that a try again. It's got some dice in it, and it's, it's a hard game. the smallest rules Yeah, sheet. and not very good and rules. No. And we were, yeah. And we were in the airport and tired and coming home and grumpy and had just eaten Chinese food, everything else. So, uh, Solitaire, what are you going to play, Solitaire? Uh, well, before, uh, yes, so I am going to attempt, I know I've said this before, my month, my goal is to play a glorious chance. We should play it together yeah. and just what learn it. I'll set it up and potter around with it so it's easy to teach as well. But I've heard good things I have about too. It. It looks and it looks cool. great, yep. And also nothing quite like it out there, nope. as far as I'm concerned. Well, it's a War of 1812, right, on the Great Lakes. There, There is some ground stuff. I've clipped my copy because I wanted to play it. But. And this is by uh, Gina Willis, who yep. was co-designer on Skies Above Britain. So and it's from I'm Legion War Games, so looks great. I'm going to give these two a go. Uh, Global War, designed by Ben Madison from White Dog Games, and Vive l'Empire. I'm not going to say that again because I've embarrassed myself. Designed by Herman Lutman, published by Blue Panther, a solo Waterloo game. That's pretty rare. Yeah, it's Hex Encounter. So definitely going to give these two a try this month. If I can get off my table, that others may live. I need to give that another play or two. But yeah, looking forward to these. I, I love these little solitaire games. And I really want to play Halls of Hegra. This is a worker placement World War II game, yeah. right? But it's solitaire, and it just looks fun, where you're worried about... Everything from supplies. And the kinds of things you do in this game are on such a micro level that you get a really cool narrative out of it. Sure. Like, you have to, like... And it's, I mean, look at that. Look at those bags. Because you're going in to, like, occupy this old fort that's been abandoned. Yep. And you have to, like, dig the snow out of the, nav <laughs> out of, like, the chance room. To be to able to... find a map. Nice. Like, come on. Nice. And then you have to fight the waves of Germans coming in. And, and it's a, it's a no-win situation, oh, right? You're like... You're going to lose. Like 20 guys, and if you can recruit enough from the village, it's like a, a handful of guys. And it's, yeah. It's, but it's great. It looks really good. I think the production value is really high. We we like Tompat games. We really enjoyed the Downing the Purple Don't game that they really came out with. And this is kind of their second game, right? They did an expansion. This is their third game. What was they, the other one? They did a game before. It was it was like a, a grid-based medieval game. Okay. But, uh, yeah, this is... We didn't play that one. No, no, no. Definitely. That's from a while ago. Okay. Uh, the other thing we're doing is a couple of weeks, or next week, we're going to play Border Reavers. Six-player Border Reavers. And John Company and again. John Company. So we're going to do both of these. It'll be probably a good long and day. And if we don't get six players, because I'm afraid Jacob may not be able to come, we'll play John Company five players, but then we'll have to play like ancient sieves of the Middle East. Because this one specifically, it's two, three, four, or six. I don't think you can play this one five players at all. Yes, and I would, I would never do it with less than four. Got it. Like you just lose so much to me. Got it. In my opinion, or you're like end up doing twice as much work. But this is an interesting looking game. We played, or at least played a turn yeah. at WBC, and really enjoyed it. I had a good time with it before I got sick, and then had my trip to the hospital. 
So yeah, I think that's everything that we're going to try to play, which is a lot. It's, well, but remember, like today we're playing a game because it's yep. Veterans Day holiday. Yep. Next, week Next weekend is, open, is gaming, so we'll... but then the following week is Thanksgiving. I was going to try to take off maybe Wednesday, and we were going to play. Yes, good point. We, we'll actually do Frosthaven a little bit on Thanksgiving Day with our Probably, father-in-law, yeah. and then we'll have Friday or Saturday to play. Yeah. So I think we'll have... Plus a solo game here. Yeah, I, I think we'll have some opportunities. I think we're going to get most... Well, and yeah, next Saturday, like, these are on the donkey. Yeah, like... so we know we're going to play those. We'll get there. We'll get, it's going to be a full I think that gaming was a, month. That sometimes we're very ambitious here, and we say, oh, we're going to play all these games. I feel like this month it actually might be slightly uh, more realistic because we do have fixed yeah. opportunities. Yeah. And we played a bunch of... And we're playing all those games that we talked about in our San Diego Historicon so debrief video. Death in November. Really yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, amongst other things. It's so, been a full month. Yeah, wild. And I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday, frankly. Do we have anything on Kickstarter and or GameFound crowdfunding stuff? Uh, it, well, well, one that I would bring up, Would Be Aces, is a print-and-play designed by Matt White. Matt White did those Until the Bitter End games where they were infantry-based. This one is uh, it's focused on the P-47. Um, so during World War II, he loves that plane. This is his first air combat game. It ends fairly soon, though, so if you're interested in that, it's a print-and-play. I want to say it's like 15 bucks. It's pretty cheap, but definitely one that you will want to check out. One of the ones that has not dropped yet and is supposed to this month is The Other Side of the Hill from Knack War Games. It is a four-player, very unique game where each player is taking on one of the German commands in World War II, and it's like internal politics, strife, arguing, fighting for resources and troops, etc., to do their offensive. So, very unique and interesting-looking game. I don't know much about it other than what ha- I have read. It looks really good, yep. and I think it definitely has some Something potential. Very as well. Yeah, and it looks good. What I've seen looks really good. So... Anyway, those are the two on Kickstarter that I will share. I'm sure there's others, there's, but there's well, U Boot just ended with Phalanx, yeah, like a that, week or two ago. My gosh, it had a miniature that's like this big. Um, I know Phalanx is working on a couple of Kickstarters. I know Knack is working on some others. So there, there will be a lot in the next couple of months. Well, and they they just delivered a couple games off of their pre-orders that wasn't part of Kickstarter yep. as well. Keep them rolling. Um, they did Iron Blood Snow. Yep, just that's one we just got, and I'm going to unbox it, and we need to play that that's, one that's and do a review. Well. And then Total Domination, which is a reskin or remake of many World War II from Formosa Force games that we played like four years ago. Um, looking forward to that one, but I've got both those I at home. I think that's just to be a bit of a nicer production and also available. Yes. That was the problem with many World War you, II. You couldn't get, you it. get it. And we enjoy. I really enjoyed that game. It was light and fun. He contacted us. I did an interview with him. He contacted us, and then he said, would you guys play this? And I was like, sure. He mailed it to us. We played it, and then nobody could find it, which was kind of a failure. Distribution here in the U.S., you will be able to get it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I've got a stack of games. I, I think I've got 30 games that have arrived in the past month and a half. And then there's us buying... We're idiots. I, what what morons? So, speaking of which, uh, this video, as always, is my favorite sponsored by Noble Night Games. 
where you can get great games like yeah. Stalingrad Pocket, yes. which we just got like idiots. Well, Iron Curtain. Yeah, which we just got like and idiots. Like, and, I'm, and I'm on there just like looking at like, oh, oh all the time. Look at this and look at that. All the and time. Look at this and like, but, ask me if I've pre-ordered a game on there. Anyway. Yeah. But they do have some new releases as well. Yeah, that's so I think I, I asked you about, what game did I ask you about? You asked me about something that wasn't there. So. Okay. But I pre-ordered The Devil's Cauldron 2nd Edition okay. through them because I've got store credit for it. Got it. And, you know. It's, yeah, we just traded in a bunch of games. Yeah, it's, it's, that's just one of those things where I'm like, do yeah. I need a GTS game? Why not? Yes, Why not? I've been watching too much Oddwolf's Lair. Sure. He talks about like GTS all the time, and so I'm like, ooh, and he recommends that one, and I'm like, I love Arnhem, and it's like, yeah, we we love. I haven't even like I've got it never snows. Yeah, we've got so many games that we'll never play. Another one, but I'm gonna do it. We're stupid. Yes, but you know I've got that. So all that to say, you can pre-order new games and got new releases on Noble Light as well. Yeah, just old ones. And and we appreciate their support. They've been very kind to us. They've helped us. And we appreciate that you guys help them as well. And the reality is, is it's their support that enables us to go to things like yep. San Diego Historicon. Yep. So you can go and watch our video on that and everything that we didn't experience. And it's like, we would never have got out there to play all those games and meet those people yeah. without this. So we're yeah. very grateful to Noble Night and thank you very much. So I think that's everything. Now time for the main event, maybe? Yeah, the main topic... Uh, of today's and I'm a little nervous about this topic, only because I, I want to make sure that it's interesting for people. Yes. I, I think it's a good thing, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm being... I hope that this is instructional and educational and informative. I don't know and if interesting. it will be interesting yeah. or entertaining, Dad. Yeah. But this is something that has come up a lot from like comments on YouTube or on social medias where people are like, hey, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. Because uh, one, of the, one of the barriers to, of entry to wargaming is that we speak a separate language to a lot of other games. Well, there's a terminology involved. And everybody, when you hear certain things like a CRT, we don't have to wonder what that is. Yeah, we we specifically that. know, but people seeing CRT have... No idea. Like, if I was to go onto a forum of 18xx games, I guarantee they have a parlance, and I have no Absolutely. idea what they're talking about. Absolutely. And it's the same thing for war games. And so what this video is intended to do is to help just, like, define all those terms. Sure. Because... Well, I don't know about every term, but a, a no. good a good chunk of them. And, and if there's a part two of this at some point, sure. because it's needed, who knows? Well, I, I also... I, the acronyms are a part of it. You know, CRT, DRM, those kind of things. But... I've also thrown in some of those other things like what's exploitation movement? Yeah. What is strategic movement? And how are those typically modeled in games? Because those are very important parts of war games. Zones ZOC is another one we'll talk about. Um, a- anyway, that that's the goal here. We'll we'll see if it comes off well. Right. I'm hoping most of you watch and don't just click off. Because you think it's boring, I think that's my concern. But, but hopefully, maybe someone who's new to wargaming will be like, "Oh, sweet! Here's some uh, some definitions yeah. of some things." Because 
there are a number of games out there that have like a glossary that'll have a lot of this information in it, but like sure. you have to have spent a hundred bucks on that game to get it. And it's like yeah. for some people who try to figure out if they want to get into the hobby, that's a big that, that's a big end, yeah. And you don't know that the glossary's in there in the first yeah. place. I, I think the other thing I wanted to throw on this was you know, some of the acronyms that are used for the systems themselves. Coin, SCS, OCS, GTS, you know, CSS. I would just like to go through a couple of those and say, here's what this is and what you can expect. So let's that. crack open the yeah. list and let's dive on in, honestly. Well, all right. So CRT. Let's just start with CRT. Okay. Or so, you can... Well, should we do... Let's do the... Before we get into the nitty-gritty, let's talk about some of the systems. First. Okay, that's fine. Because I think that might help. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. And it's kind of all over the place. So... Sure. Let's talk about... Let's start with, like, MMP. Because yeah. we have only acronyms. Yep. So SCS is something that you will hear about a lot on this channel, which stands for Standard Combat Series. It is an easy-to-learn system, mm-hmm. um, and it co- it's great for being your first ever Hex Encounter war game. Mm-hmm. But SCS, Standard Combat Series. Kind of the next level up from that. Well, real quick, let's give a very simple overview of what you can expect from that series, right? So Standard Combat Series, I, I think, right, uses a CRT, it uses artillery in a specific way, typically as reductions, but in, as we saw in Arden 2, it, it does some reducing of power and movement. So it's pretty standard stuff, right? It's yeah. focused on I go, you go, I move combat. Guys, yep. We fight with the guys, we resolve that, and then it's your turn. You move with your guys and fight with the guys. Yeah. There's other layers of stuff in some of the titles and not in others, but it is, you know, your supply is like, can you draw a line to the edge of the map? Yeah. If there is supply, typically speaking. And, and typically the scale of those are <coughs> operational, correct? Uh, I, I, I would say typically, yes. Yes. I'm trying to think if we've played. Some of them are, some of them are larger than operational. Okay. Though. I don't know. It's, yeah, uh, anyway. You can get into the... I just... So anyway, go on. I won't belabor so, the points. From there, we're going to kind of take a step up in complexity to BCS, which is the Battalion Combat Series. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> BCS is much newer than Standard Combat Series. BCS is um, quite different from mm-hmm. a lot of other games. It's still a Hex Encounter war game. But in this one, you're focusing more on formation activation. Mm-hmm. Instead of, I'm going to move all my guys on the map and then fight with all of them, you're going to activate a specific formation. And they'll all have like a matching color on them typically, and they'll have an HQ, and it's like this blob of guys. They have to be in, in the blob to be able and, to be activated, yeah, and so which a blob is a nebulous... Like command radius. Yep. And there is like some supply counters, and yep. you have to have your supply that then goes back, and there's some rules about interdiction. And then you're also concerned about, and the hallmark of BCS is the, um, the snafu table, yep. where you're going to roll a die... And based on certain modifiers, can you activate you again? You will get a full activation where you can go hog wild. Yep. Half an activation where you can't do nearly as much, or or you get snafu and it's not great. Yeah. So there's a lot more unknown and, and kind of risk in that game where it can feel that that's quite gamey in a way. Where mm-hmm. like I keep getting crappy rolls or I get some amazing rolls where I yeah. need them. 
but you get a much more interesting and unpredictable story out of that game, and that's a lot of, okay, how do I make the best out of this? Yeah. But SCS, you don't get as much. Yeah, so, so if I remember correctly, the snafu roll also, it's like you can activate the same formation multiple times, but you have to keep rolling, and it gets harder yeah. and harder and harder. You can you can roll them a second time, yeah. but that penalty is severe. It's like a so negative three to your die roll, or some, something it's like that. It's very unlikely that you'll get a good thing out But of it's it. a pressure luck style of, yeah. okay, I really need to operate this formation and make a big impact here. I'm going to do it again. And those so. are also good for solo play, because you just you pick this formation, you do your stuff with it. And then you go to the other side and pick a formation mm-hmm. and do your stuff with them. So yeah. and you can't look at the stacks, and so you forget what the hell you've got. Yeah. Right. Uh, the step up from that is OCS, Operational Combat Series. Operational Combat Series is um, much more focused on the logistics behind combat. Mm-hmm. The games are operational-scale games, yep. and you have an HQ similarly, and they'll have command radiuses. But the supply is much more granular. You have a certain amount of supply points, and there's all sorts of rules about how much you can draw from. Throwing supply. Based on, like, trucks and trains and weather. And then you've got to project that supply to your units from your command and supply. So there's a hex limit sometimes. But you can have, like, I'm trying to remember what they called it. They have, they have, like, range extenders and that's, stuff That's what it was. Well. I wanted to call a repeater, like, yeah. for, for... But range extenders, so you can get even further... Yeah, so it's like a, a mini depot that you can yeah. send the supplies up, and then yep. they filter them out. Yeah. Very but, interesting. But in that game, you need supply, and you assign your supply to specific units, yeah. and if they do not have supply, they not they don't do anything. Yeah. So it is, it's much more detailed and mm-hmm. granular in that sense, and it's very puzzling. And if you like that kind of thing and you want to make that investment, OCS is something to look I, at. I think the other hallmark, in my opinion, of OCS is you're going to see big stacks. Yes. You're yes, going to sure. see five or six units stacked on each other, and then there's a ton of supply markers all over. We got a kind of a crash course from yes. Gary with Ardwolf's Lair on Smolensk. And I liked it so much, although I wouldn't say we played it. We kind of messed around. I bought Smolensk, right? It's still unclipped, sitting on my shelf. But one day, we will get there. They do have a new volume coming out called Crimea, OCS Crimea. Um, It looks really good, but it's also a smaller... It's two maps. I want to say it's one map. It's two maps. But I I feel like it's a smaller, more introductory-focused game. Compared to some of the games, it's like four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them massive. So that may be one you want to look at. Um, I know I'm interested in it. So we'll see, but but those are like the three main. Well, okay, they also have GTS, Let's Grand Tactical that, Series, Grand Tactical Series, and these are very large format, very long games, mm-hmm. and like I. So we'll talk about Devil's Cauldron. It is just the northern part of Operation Market Garden, <laughs> and it's five maps. Yeah. So I say that to give you an indication of. The units on the maps are companies, and there's a lot, a lot of them. them. And you get into like support platoons and all this stuff. And it's very granular. It's 
it looks incredible on the table. It does. We've, we've seen uh, in mean, action at WBC. Yeah, it's amazing, but it's very detailed. Yeah, they can be very long and very daunting, and they're very expensive. But like two hundred and fifty dollars expensive, right? Yes, but like if you're buying that and committing to that, that's you're gonna. What that's what you're gonna play for two years. Yeah, and uh, so it, those games are kind of incredible. We don't have that much experience with it. You know, we talked to people who have played it. And we've had a little demos. We've watched, had them, but we've never played. No, but I want to. I would like to so that we can piddle around with it because it looks so cool. Yeah, but that's that's at the very big and heavy big, scale. Yep. But they have a few different systems. They do uh, ASL, which is Advanced Squad Leader, which is a very deep and rich and crunchy tactical, tactical game. system. Um, yeah. They also have ASL Starter Kits, which you might see as ASL SK with a number after it, depending on which volume it is. Uh, and then a number of other titles as well. But they have oh, they have like Acronym Central over there. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and actually, I think it's cool. I, I love yeah. to be able to say SCS. I just enjoy that. So that's kind so. of MMP. Compass doesn't have quite so many systems like that that have acronyms, but they do have a few. Um, they have a company scale system, which CSS, is CSS. Yep. And I just recently learned, kind of figured it out, is that the CSS uh, is kind of Compass's answer to the grand tactical GTS system from MMP. Mm. Kind of very similar. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I was like, oh, I'll yeah. buy a GTS well, game. Because we were able to play Saipan yeah. and enjoyed it quite a bit. And we have a couple of others that we have not played yet. yet. Um, Montelamar I have, and then I think you have Guam. And, Guam, yeah. Yeah. But, but that was part of the thing. I was like, oh, we played that, and it was really yeah. good. And knowing that that's kind of similar to what GTS is, I'm like, oh, that's less daunting. Sure. Knowing kind of what we've done. Uh, what, did I still can't believe we got CSS out and tried to play that so many years ago, and we've come a long way since yeah. that day. But I think I don't. Others they don't have a lot of other ongoing long-term systems not, that have crazy acronyms in them. Not, not really. A lot of individual titles or so. They do a lot of great games. They yeah. just yeah. Less of the jargon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then we'll let's talk about GMT because GMT is, has a couple of those. Yeah, it has a few of those. So let's start with Coin. Because yep. I think that's the most popular yeah. uh, coin. stands for Counter-Insurgency. C-O, Counter-I-N, Insurgency, coin, coin series. And that's a technical military term that is used by military planners and the DOD and Pentagon, blah, blah, blah. That, that's not a made-up name. That's what they call it, Counter-Insurgency. So Counter-Insurgency is focused on small-scale battles, between asymmetric factions, so not every faction has the same resources or capabilities or force structure or units, but each of those volumes focuses on a historical period. There are ancients, ones, you know, you've got Falling Sky Pendragon. and Pendragon, those are both ancients. Then you've got more modern, Cuba Libre, Andean Abyss, a um, distant plane, a distant plane. And then you've got, I mean, you, you've got now everything some, everything, you've got some World War II one in design. Uh, then you've also got some kind of one-offs, People Power, which is a focus on the Philippines insurgency and the British way, which focuses on little insurgencies in smaller countries, et cetera, except Liberty or Death, which is the AMREV. Um, so typically those are games where you have like a large government-style faction 
and then you'll have like it's smaller either revolutionary or rebellious yeah. factions that kind of stuff and how they fight and interact with each other is very different mm -hmm. and they, that system is to model those in all sorts of different yeah. periods so the coin series is card assisted and i there's a guy that keeps dogging me and i'm just like you're an idiot card assisted is not card driven they are completely and utterly different card driven requires op points and an event Card Assisted just has an event, and it sets the turn order. It doesn't drive the game. I'll die on that hill. Yeah. I so. Think, well, in common parlance, a card-driven game, a CDG. A CDG, here yeah, at the another acronym. Aid, we use that phrase to refer to the Mark Herman style of CDGs. Yes. There's a lot of other people that define it differently than that. That is what it means here. So there can be a lot of other people that define it differently. It's not correct. I'm they, sorry. But then they sit through and like have to they define it, and it's like okay, yeah, technically. But when we talk about CDGs, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they have coin. They have the 40x series, right? Yes. It's, so it's that's it's, a series of games from Mark Sivanich, and it literally will have like whatever the location or name of the battle is, and then it's. The 44. So the year that it occurred in, and, right? And so we've got North Africa, 41. 41. Or we've got, there's a there's a Ukraine, 42. There's a France, 40. I think it's Ukraine, 43. Sure. Yeah, France, 40. 40. Yeah, 42. 42. Holland, 44. I mean... And they all... Salerno, 43. ...use the same yep. system. Yeah. Uh, so generally the same combat, movement, and then he uses a... a, a a COC that's a, a Zoc bond, yes. right? Zone of control bond between two small or smaller units. Yes. And and generally speaking, the, you know, they'll use the same system. That's why we kind of lumped them together in this family of yep. 40X games. If you hear a 40X game or a Simonich game... That that's what we're can, talking about. You know, you start getting into the, okay, I have some amount of assumed knowledge that might be easier for me to read this rule book. Yeah. Um, other systems that GMT has, uh, GBOH, which Great is Ranked Battles, Battles of History, of history uh, and there's a million of those. Most of those are Ancients games. Mm -hmm. My favorite in that series is SPQR, yes, it's very, very which good. is Senate Populi, blah, blah, blah. Something it's a Roman good. word for the army. But they, uh, those are um, tactical <laughs> Ancients games with lots of pieces, and you line them all up, and then the enemy lines all theirs up, and, and you fight it out. Fight it out. It's not any more complicated than that. And then they have a simple GBOH series, yes. right, where they've taken that GBOH series, pared it down a little bit, and tried to make the rules a little simpler. And they are. Yeah. And so that is a little baggy that you get with just a little um, kind of simple rule book in it. And you can use that with basically... With it, most of the GBOH titles. And the entries, yeah. So you buy the SBQR box, and then you buy the little simple rules separately, and you use those in that box. All the new editions of GBOH and the reprints they're doing have the scenario specifics for simple GBOH yeah. in them. Yeah. So you just need the core rules, um, but some of the, if you get some like the older versions of them, um, you can get the separate sheets for those. Yeah. But just buy the new ones, they're much better. Uh, they also have Boar, which is yep. Battles of the American Revolution. Mm -hmm. They're coming out with a small Boar, 
which is kind of smaller battles, but battles of the American Revolution. And systematically, it's very different from GBOH, mm -hmm. but conceptually, it can be similar where it's at a tactical sure. level, here's my guys on the board, off on another line, and you're fighting over much more interesting terrain. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's American Revolutionary War. Uh, the game is less complicated than you might think or that it might look is what I would say. I, I would say it's eminently playable yeah. once you actually dive into it and, and play it. Very cool combat system, very interesting um, kind of diverging strategies that you use and that results in... Yes. Very interesting. Then they also have GBACW, which is Great Battles of the American Civil War, which, confusingly, does not use a system that's anything like the Great Battles of history, nor does it use anything that's like the great campaigns of the American Civil War. It's a very different system. Apparently, it's pretty complex. We've not we've not played it, unfortunately. We have one, but never yeah. played it. Um, but that just know that that's great battles of the American Civil War. Again, it's tactical. It's a single battle. You play out the battle. Yeah. Um, they have Men of Iron yeah, series. Yeah, so the M O I Men of Iron. That is a medieval tactical game. Very very good system. We've enjoyed that the yes. little bit that we've played. And it's very easy to learn. It yes, is, I would it's agree. It's on par with the simple Great Battles of History. If you're looking for a good introductory game, the game in C3i Magazine, I'm trying to remember. Battle of Wakefield. Battle of Wakefield, I think, is a great introduction to that system. Yes, and it also shows you that a lot of the battles are historical and not necessarily well battled. Yeah, right. Uh, that's part of Richard Berg's design. He's like, hey, man, this is not... This is what it was. This is what happened. Yeah. He'll often give you balancing options that you could do. Yeah. Uh, so just look into that. If that's interesting. Then he'll say, hey, this is skewed towards the, you know... No doubt. The Lancastrians. Uh, yeah. Add this and this if you want a more balanced play. Okay. But uh, <laughs> the Man of Iron is a really fun system. It's really easy, very simple to play, but it feels crunchy and meaty. Yeah. And you get... Medieval I, battles, which is awesome. I actually really enjoyed it. That Battle of Wakefield was very, very fun. And then we played, which one in the Men of Iron we, series did uh, we play? We played a battle of a, it was Crown of the Crusades. So good. It was good. It Infidel, I think. Yeah, it was good. Um, very good. I, the last one that we'll talk about, because I don't, is uh, C&C. Yeah. Which stands for Commands and, and Colors. Colors. And Commands and Colors is a massive thing. There's Napoleonics. Uh, we have a so whole heavy. big old video, I think, ranking these. Yeah. So Commands and Colors, this is Commands and Colors. Napoleonics. Napoleonics. They have Commands and Colors Ancients. Uh, they have Commands and Colors Samurai. Commands and Colors Medieval. Oh, and it's not just GMT, though, too, right? Yes. Uh, Days of Wonder has Memoir 44. Compass Games has uh, Commands and Colors Tricorn. PSC did... Um, World War One Commander, I think yep. is what it was and called. And Red Alert. He, uh, oh, it was the Great the Great War. Is that what it was called? The Great War, yeah. And yeah, and they did Red Alert, Space Fleet Warfare. Those might not have the CNC name, but they're part of the CNC same family. family. Same designer, same system, just in different settings. Gr great system that really focuses on a use of hand of a hand of cards to activate wings and to take actions: attack, move, retreat. Very chaotic, very fun, fairly a light system. Very, very friendly for yeah. new players. I, I would say up Napoleonics is very much more complicated because each of the different unit types and nations have different abilities and yeah. 
It's a much larger, a little more complex matrix of hey, this guy fights like this against this guy. Yeah, it's a trifold. There's a, so yeah. many different types of units from so many different nations, especially will be expansion. Uh, another one that I would mention is SOS States of of Siege. Yes. You know, that's a solitaire game system that was created by Victory Point Games. I think yes, originally. Right, yeah. Victory Point Games, and there's like 20 volumes in that. We've played many of them and done videos on the on the channel, but it's a solitaire game that typically uses a central point that you are defending with five or six converging tracks. And you play cards, cards are played, and they tell you what happens to you and then how many actions you get. You play out and you try to survive to the end. Very fun, interesting, solitaire system. Decision Games has the folio series and I can't remember it's commando they have the commando series so yeah. I've Is played it a Raider series maybe it's the Raider series but it's very good it's a solitaire game system um, but those are kind of some of the acronym systems that were yes so wanted to share you're gonna hear a lot of those types of games talked about you'll hear those very regularly talked about just because it's who wants to say Great campaigns of the American Civil War all the time. So yeah, GBACW, right? And uh, so that's just the games. So now we're going to talk about some of the more terminology. specifics of terminology that you'll find within some of these games. All right, so CRT. Which you mentioned earlier stands for Combat Results, Results Table. Table. So you're going to roll some dice, and depending on what you rolled and potentially some other factors, you are going to consult this table and you look up on a little row in a column, and that says, this is what happens because of what you roll. Yeah. Usually it's not more complicated than that, though the CRT can come in a number of different formats. Absolutely. T typically, not always, typically it's an odd, odds-based yes. uh, format, right? Time. So you might have 12 combat factors, or CFs, right? Yes. And the defender might have only three combat factors, CFs. So you divide 12 by 3, that's your 4 to 1 odds. You consult the 4 to 1 line, you roll a die, a 6-sider, a 10-sider, 2d6. 2D6. I rolled a 12, you consult that, oh, at a 4 to 1 odds, I'm going to do two losses to the defender, and then they flip their counters and sometimes have to retreat, or sometimes it'll kill them. Oh, or it's a statement. But that, right. the CRT is kind of the distribution of results that you could get from combat, right. generally speaking. And I think it's done on a bell curve based on the odds mathematically. So it's, you'll, you'll notice if you ever study a CRT, there's like a line going through the middle, yep. and those are kind of all the same. All the neutrals. Yeah, the same results, not good, because that's like a three on a D6. Nothing happens. And then everything below that is better yep. for the attacker. And then everything above that. Uh, I'm sorry. Bad, I'm, yeah, you or, low. or vice versa, depending on. But that I, I have. I would love to be smarter than I am, so but, that yes, yes, so yes. that I could really understand mathematically the distribution of those numbers and results because I find it fascinating. Well, and and watching once you experience more war games, the CRT is often the most interesting part of the game. Yes, because some games will build like catastrophic losses into those or like massive amounts of attrition to those where yep. instead of doing combat factors you're doing like manpower points and where 
It doesn't matter if you roll really well. You committed 100,000 troops to the battle. A lot of them are going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, just there's so many. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if you won, great, we killed 60,000 of your guys. 60,000 of your guys are going to do 60,000 guys worth of damage to my 100,000 guys. Yeah, yeah. I still eviscerated your army. You lost everyone. But I also lost three quarters of my army as well, kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and you can... The more experience you have, the more you can see that kind of thing in a table. You're like, oh, that's what they're trying to do, and that's it, oh, it's very yeah. enlightening. Well, I, I think typically, based on the scale of the game, the highest odds possible kind of replicate that cul- possibility of combat in a certain amount of space. Right, one hex might represent two miles, yeah. and the highest odds on that table might be five to one. Because you just can't get more guys in there. So to me, it's mathematically interesting. I always think it's fascinating. So the next one I have on there is ZOC. So before we do that, let's talk about DRMs. Because that relates very much to our CRMs. DRM, yep. You hear the phrase DRM a lot. And a DRM is a dice roll modifier or a die roll modifier. Uh, and typically you'll see that in relation to a CRT, because you'll have a CRT, and below it, it will say DRMs. Yeah. So and it'll list five or six things yeah, that you'll you've got get. you've got your little odds-based column, and you're going to roll your dice, and then you add your die roll modifiers. And those might be for things like having lots of guys. Or, or combined having, arms, tanks and men. different types of guys, or having good terrain or good command yeah. or all sorts of things. Being in supply or out of supply. You know, there's DRMs all... are a plus or they can be a negative mm-hmm. and they change the value on the dice that you roll before you consult the CRT. So you, I rolled a 6 with a negative 1 DRM. Oh, okay, change it from so a 6 to a 5. Then so, I consult the CRT to, to find out what happens. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty, pretty simple. So ZOC... So, yeah, ZOC stands for Zone of Control. Uh, in some games, you will see the phrase E-ZOC, which stands for Enemy Zone of Control, just to be a bit more explicit about mm-hmm. you and your opponent in certain situations. Now, zone of Control uh, relates to... <laughs> it is, this can vary. Well, there, there's all different types of yes. zones of control. It, it, generally, you'll have a unit and they will sit in a space or a hex, and a zone of control is the area outside of where they are that they can influence in some Bas- form. Basically, the, the six hexes that surround them. That's the most common. T- typically. Uh, some games have it more or less, or that might change depending on if you're Terrain- disrupted. Or, or terrain. Or terrain. Like I think of North Africa games, a lot of times your zone of control doesn't project over like a yeah. ridge or... Or you just don't have them because yeah. there was... So there was so, so much space. space. Yeah, and so that it, it's a force projection, and what that does is that limit. It means you, you can't just like drive past a bunch of guys. Yeah, or you might not be able to draw supply through, through those hexes into which yeah. the enemy can raid your supply lines, yeah. or all I, sorts of other things. I, I always think of it as okay. I'm an active, fresh, able unit in a hex. I have machine guns focused. I have a commander who's in good health. You can't run into the hex next to me. Based on scale, that might be quarter mile away or it might be two miles away. You cannot run into that hex without me 
having the ability to affect what happens to you. You're going to have to stop because you're going to come around the corner and you're going to see three tanks guns aimed right at you with 50 infantry behind that. You can't run by that. You're going to get eviscerated. And a lot of games will make you stop. Some games you just have to spend an extra movement point. And and it's, you know, you're walking through like this. Yeah. So zones of control, ZOC, you will see that a lot. So the other name for this 40X series is often referred to as the Zock Bond series, Mm -hmm. which is the zone of control bond, which is a special, unique function of zones of control in this game. Yeah. So that's, again, another layer of why we bring it up this particular thing. And while you mention the Zock Bond, the Zock Bond typically is a standard zone of control, but... It can project between units who are separated by a hex because it's a low counter-density game, typically. Yes, it helps to keep guys off the board. Yeah. And, and where you basically would have two zones of friendly zones of control overlapping, that becomes an impenetrable barrier. And if you have to retreat through that, you You're just dead. die because there's so yeah. much fire coming at you. So zones of control, in my opinion, are one of the very basic elements, along with CRT, the basic elements of any good war game. Those will pop up in most yep. Hex Encounter war games. And we've played some Hex Encounters that didn't have zones of control, and I always laugh, because I ask myself, okay, what was the designer trying to, to show here as I drive my tank right by your guys right down the road? It doesn't make any sense, it, it, right? Yeah, it, there's all sorts of reasons anyway. for it. But. Uh, so, so the next thing that I had on the list, well, we, what about column shift while we're talking about yeah, CRTs? So, a column shift is, if you think about a table, a column shift is exactly what it sounds like. Where you're, let's say we had that four to one odds. Yeah. But you have a column shift to the left. So, you're going to move down one column from the four to one column down to the three to one column. And, And typically, a column shift will come because you're in a defensive terrain. You might be in a woods. Yeah. Or you might have had a good role on a preparation, or an artillery barrage, something like that, or air support that forces a... You might have good odds as the attacker, but I had better preparation, so I'm going to make you a little less effective. So the column shifts have the same effect as a die roll modifier. It's just the column shifts move this way, and the die roll modifiers move this way. Yeah, And... That's also another, that's part of the CRT. It's very interesting to see what does what. Because we've played some games where they don't have DRMs. Yeah. They only have column shifts. So you'll have a column shift for combined arms. You'll have a column shift for defensive terrain. You'll have a column shift for supply. You'll have a column shift for air support. And you roll your dice, there's no modifiers to the dice. You just look on the right column. Or you have the opposite, where you'll have like a million dice roll modifiers and then like one thing that does a column shift. Sure. Uh, and so you get all sorts of things within that. I, I always, I, I think I prefer column shifts to DRMs, but that's just me. And I don't know I why think, that is. I don't think I've got a preference. Yeah. I like it when you can kind of do both. I just like the concept of the column shift. It feels better. So, I think it's simpler to adjudicate. It is. Say. Yeah, a little bit. Because you get, oh, I've got two this way, three this way, and you just roll a die, and you have to really mess. Okay. Uh, l- let's go on. Let's do OOB. Okay. So OOB stands for Order of Battle. Uh, this is a phrase you'll hear a lot because every game, pretty much every game, has one uh, in some form or another. So an Order of Battle 
is the big long list of units in the game, and it will typically involve where they set up, as well as when they a, come in the schedule game. of reinforcements. Or even what condition are they in. Sometimes yes. units will start reduced because they've already been involved in a running engagement that leads up to that scenario. And the order of battle is also, I feel like, that's one of the points of very heavy research that game designers do. Well, and also one of the points of extreme disagreement by some historian war gamers who want to ask, well, why did you do this? with? Why did you give that SS unit this power when they were only half strength during the battle. Well, like, why did Whatever. you combine these two guys into one county? Right. Okay. Sometimes you have to make a decision on that OOB, OOB based on playability and what you're trying to get through with the battle. But it's basically just like a roster of all the units yep. in the game and typically set up instructions that kind of match yeah. together. Um, the, m- some games, it's very important and in other games, it's even more important because yep. that OOB will tell you, like, it gives you indication about, um, like, formations and sticking them together, and you really have to pay attention to those yeah. as you set them up. But like, some And, and the reason for that is when there is a formation focus, you will not be able to activate those units unless they're in yeah. command range, typically, of their headquarter unit. And, and, and they're trying to go for, like, historical stuff. Yeah. You think about something like... uh, Well, Panzer Lair wouldn't be commanded by something else, right? But then we look at a game like The Lamps Are Going Out, there's no order of battle in that game because it's at such a high scale where the units don't matter, they're just generic. Yep. Like, it's just some strength points. That's typically in your grand strategic, grand tactical style games. Uh, Let's talk about movement because there's quite a bit different types of movement. So there's exploitation movement, infiltration movement. You don't see that a whole lot. Yeah, that's less common. Overrun combat, which I think of movement. So let's talk about exploitation first. So regular movement, you're going to move guys around, right? You are going to spend what is called MPs, generally speaking. Yeah. Movement points. You will have a number. On your counter. That this unit is assigned, you can spend that many points. And typically in a counter, that's in the far right-hand corner, typically. But sometimes they're different. Typically, it's combat with maybe a range superscript, defense with potentially a range superscript, and then movement, sometimes with a color, right? Because white units might be exploitation movement capable. Yeah. We played that in Arden. Didn't they have exploitation movement? Uh, I don't remember what the it was white called. The is mech movement, the black is leg movement, okay. the yellow band is exploit movement. Got it. So anyway, so exploitation movement. What is exploitation movement? So if something is exploitation movement capable, there'll be some uh, denotation on the counter or in the rules. And typically speaking, exploitation movement is you do move and fight and... You've opened up some holes yeah, or killed some units. Is to exploit that. To so move through. Move again. Yep. And so usually you'll find that those are um, fast units. Either they'll be like mechanized or motorized, or they might be cavalry units. Yep. Um, or, you know. Because they're more mobile. Something with mobility and speed yep. where they can almost double move but make use of 
to stuff you've done in combat. And what I would say about exploitation move in a game, if you have exploitation-capable units, if you're not taking advantage of that every turn, yes. you are losing. You do not put it into a game unless it it's is important. supposed to be used yeah. and maximized. So I think when you know that you can do that, if you're not doing that every each and every turn and doing it to its maximum, you are not going to win that game, just to be honest, right? Infiltration movement. So infiltration movement is much less common, but infiltration movement, typically speaking, is the, kind of what it says, but it's the, it's the idea of moving slowly but stealthily through zones of control or you either couldn't move in or would be very difficult mm -hmm. or you would subject yourself to enemy fire or something right. like that. And so, it, yeah, it's a way to like move from maybe one hex to another hex through lots of zones of control that would normally be prohibited or it's to kind of sneak through an area that historically they did under the cover of darkness or there was some level of surprise and it's just... Uh, it, the, they create things like infiltration movement as an exception to a lot yeah. of the other movement prohibition. And, and typically units that have it, I would say, are smaller, infantry-based, yeah. commando-style units. So a game that I can think that has a lot of infiltration movement is Holland 44. Yeah. Some of those paratroopers, in order to get to the bridgehead first, based on where they land and what's around them, they're going to have to use some infiltration movement to get beyond zones of control and then be able to use their normal movement. So it's not as common, but also in, in the Pacific theater, I feel like the Japanese have a lot of infiltration yes. movement or, or even the and Americans. It, and it's that nighttime sneaking around. Yeah. Getting in position. We don't have the same technology where we can see people at night. Yeah. Overrun combat. That's kind of another form of movement. Uh, yeah, overrun combat is something that often happens during movement. Uh, and it's where if you've got a big stack of guys and they've got one little guy, you just kind of steamroll. So, so say you had 15 combat factors and you roll up on an infantry unit that only has one. two or one. If you have so many more than them, typically you can... You just you spend Run over extra them. movement point yep. and walk over them because it's not worth sitting down and doing a and, combat and rolling the dice. Yeah. So that it's it's not in all games, but it is uh, yeah, from you, from time to time. Usually, it's a within the movement phase. Yep. That's just additional. So we talked about uh, counter anatomy, about strategic movement. Okay, strategic movement. Yep. Go yes, ahead. Uh, strategic movement is in a lot of games. That yes. Something you will come up a lot. And it will, it will look very different and function very different. But typically speaking, strategic movement is the concept of getting guys from like, where the they back. were trained or where they spawned and getting them up to the front. Uh, it will either follow like roads or railroads. Train, yep. It's usually in these very large, very busy supply lines. And in almost every game I've ever played, you can not start, enter, or end your movement. A zone of control. Yeah, in or adjacent to an enemy unit. Because they're they're literally just kind of two-timing it, right? Yes. Double-timing it. Quadruple speed. Yeah. You're on, like, a bus. You're, it's not And you're road. running. Yeah. It's just, we're just driving on a road where it's friendly, and yep. you get to where you want to be. Then you walk up using your regular tactical movement. The next turn. Yeah. Yeah. Also, a, a very important concept. If you're not using that in games, you're losing. Yeah. yeah. So, if it's in the game and you don't, you're not using it. Yeah. 
You, they you, put it in there for a reason. You know, it was interesting. We played Verdun, 1916 Steel Inferno, yes. I think is what it's called. And that had strategic movement. And it was extremely important, particularly for the French, yes. but also for the German, to get those units from the back up to the front and across the front as quickly as possible because holes open up. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about activations a little bit. So there's a couple different types of activations. There's HQ activation. So what, what is that? What's well, HQ activation? An HQ activation is where, through some mechanism in the game, you will activate a specific headquarters, and they will either have a range on them, or they will have like a color assigned to them. Or a number of units that they can... And they'll they'll be able to activate whatever, however many units within that range, or that match their color, and that, that it's kind of like this knock-on effect. Hey, this guy, he's going to get these guys to move, mm -hmm. right? Your leaders give you your orders, you fulfill those orders. Yep. And there's all sorts of different formats of how that happens. But... Chip pull is another one that Typically, activate chit pull activation. So you'll pull a formation, and that entire formation can move. Yeah. So a chit pull is you will have a cup with chits in it, and each one of those represents an HQ on the board or something else. And you will literally just pick one out, and oh, that's they can the move. blue guy. We're going to activate the blue HQ. He's going to activate yeah. these blue guys. Done. Okay. Let's let's continue on the focus of movement because I've got two more here. Area movement. What is area movement? Uh, area movement. Okay. Area movement is act is like a game mechanic in itself. So you'll hear about the area movement or area impulse series from Mike Ronald. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but area movement is typically I'm going to activate an area, and it's you know. The, the board will be divided up. It's like a geographic yeah, area. Like, not hex and Spaces. It's more spaces. Yep. I've got a bunch of guys in this space. I'm going to activate this area, and area move is I will move everyone who starts in this area, and we will move to other areas. Mm -hmm. Some you can split up. Some it's the same. Yeah. You might you have know. like, oh, I can move to one other space, or two, or as many as you want. But it's, it's picking up a bunch of guys from one location and moving them to others. And usually you have a bit more freedom in there. But yeah. those games ha have, you know, they might have anywhere from like 20 to 40 spaces, areas on them, and it's much less regulated than like the geographical hex map. Yeah. Uh, so the other one I have is point-to-point -point movement. Yes. So that's... A, now, these aren't acronyms, but point-to-point no, -point movement, it's, it's, you might it's like, be what? Here. So point-to-point -point movement is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's just a different format where you'll have areas, and there'll be hundreds of them on the board, and they will have connections. Yeah. And those will be, you know, either normal, or they might have, like, railroads, or they might have, like, rivers, and rivers. And so it's points connected, and so it looks uh, it's very striking on the board. And so point-to-point -point movement is you're literally moving from point-to-point -point through these different connections, again, spending your movement points based on what the color or type of the yeah. connection is stopping when you get to enemies or and, and typically I feel like point to point movement when the, when the designers put those maps together those points follow like you said the mountain ranges and the rivers and the roads and you know if you're moving through a mountainous area typically it takes two movement points yeah, much, much to get sense. through the mountains but on a river it might be half a movement but you know but that you're moving from a point to a point so I think that's all the movement 
different types. Let, let's talk about what is a counter versus what is a chit and what is the difference. Because I think there is a difference, and we, we have these discussions often. Yes, and, and, and game, individual games might define them slightly differently, um, but to me, um, it kind of stems from the phrase hex encounter. So mm-hmm. we have a hex encounter war game, which means you have hexes and you have counters on those hexes. Those and those counters are, represent units. Yes. In my brain, a counter represents a combat unit or an HQ, some tactical unit. It's it has some... It has numbers on it, typically, right? A combat, a defense, a movement, a command rating, yes. a supply I, rating, something. I push my counters around on the table. Yeah. A chit. A chit, on the other hand, is more like an administrative A marker. marker. Yeah. So it might be like, this is a supply dump, or this is a disorganized marker, or yep. this is a trench, where that's not a unit that's going to necessarily act of its own volition, but those are administrative markers to help us assess the state of the board. Yep. And so you'll hear us say counter and chit, and sometimes we will say those interchangeably. Yeah. But and, and it is confusing in wargaming circles, I think. But, but understand that the reality is, is they all come off the same punch board, and if yep. you see people talking about counters and chits in the same sentence, it's not that big a deal. It's not something else where you're like, oh. Well, what, what one thing I would say I have not heard is we mentioned chit pull activation, Chit refers to the yes. counters that are put into typically a, a cup or it's a... the administrative part of... Yeah, but you're pull. I've never heard counter pull. It's chit pull. Yeah. You know, it's... But that's the phrase. Y- but, sure. And typically those chits you pull out for those activations, they'll say a formation or a unit name or, or an event that's going to happen. So counter versus chit. Understand they're really all kind of the same thing and can be used interchangeably. But a counter typically specifically refers to a unit on the board. Yes. Chits are everything else. Marker, status, chit pull, etc. Yes. I think that's a general general but overview. Yeah, if you, if you of see that. both of those terms, it's not yep. just understand it's, it's not something oh okay, uh, let, let's talk about reinforcement schedule. So reinforcement schedule we kind of talked about earlier when we Low. talked about the order of battle, the OOB. So reinforcement schedule will literally be when and who comes onto the board and where. So you set up all your units with the big setup card or whatever that looks like, and then it'll be turn two, and it'll say turn two, and it'll say you get this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and they enter from this hex side. Hex 3428. Or they they pop up in this particular area. And then it'll be like, and for the opposition side, they're going to get this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. And that's just turn two. And they'll be turned through. Some games have what are called counter sleds, where you can set those up beforehand. Here's all my turn two guys. So it's like a piece of paper that has different turn numbers and holding boxes for the counters that come in on those turns. Not all games have that. It's very convenient. It's very nice. If you've got the space where you can set that up. And it's typically in bigger games. Yeah, so you don't have to go fishing at the end of every turn, which can be a drag. One thing I've never liked about reinforcement schedules is I know exactly when your units are going to come on the board. That has always bothered me about wargaming. Sure, but most of those are historical, and it's just like that's I, when they did. I understand, but I can still look forward. Ooh, I've got the next three turns without you getting any reinforcements. That can affect sometimes my strategy. Yes, that's just my opinion. Just my opinion. Um, I, I don't think there's I've a never. Way, I don't think there's a way around that though. Well, why can't it just be hidden information? 
Because why do I have to let you know that on turn six I get these five guys? But you don't know they're coming in on turn one, on turn six. After you play the game once, you know. I know. Well, that's a good There's point. no way to get but around it. So. Anyway, uh, supply. let's talk about supply. So what is supply in a war game? The supply in a war game is, well, it's modeled in a lot of different ways and a lot of different scales. But supply, and to a lot of different levels in those yeah. games. Sometimes it's very poo-pooed. Sometimes it's extremely important and one of the focuses of the game. Supply represents everything that combat units typically need to be able to function and to fight and to progress. Typically ammunition, ammunition food, fuel, food, all medicine, that kind of stuff. yeah. Um, a lot of it is abstracted into supply. Yeah. Um, some games are a bit more specific, but mostly it is supply. Now, what form that takes in a game and what that looks like can be wildly different. Yeah. Um, so you'll have games where like if it's a tactical level game and it's like this counter is one guy and he is sat behind a bush and he's trying to shoot that guy, mm-hmm. a lot of the times those don't track supply. However, they might have like a heavy weapons team that does have ammunition counters. That's a form of supply. When sure. those ammunition counters run out, they're ineffective. They're screwed. Yep. Uh, there might be some way to get those back. Mm-hmm. That's supply. Or you go all the way up to something like OCS Operational Combat Series where the game is only about supply mm-hmm. and there's also combat. Where <laughs> that's why that's why operational is before the combat because the supply <laughs> it really should be S C S, but they already had standard combat series. But supply anyway. <laughs> supply combat series. Yeah. But like that game is a logistics puzzle. Yeah. The game is about being able to draw supply, how many points do you get? Making sure you can get that supply to Where you your need units it. because without that supply in that game, they can do nothing. Yeah. And you also get into the hilarious part in that game where you get all your supply and you give it to only your tanks and you never use artillery in the whole game, which is very anachronistic mm-hmm. because the quartermaster general would have sent you artillery shells and you would have had to use them. Right. But like that's that's the puzzle of that game is I've got these supply points. How can I use them to such a granular level that without that fuel, your tanks do not drive? Yep. I, I mean, I really feel like we've covered most of the rest that I've got on this let's, list. Is yeah, there anything? There. Yeah. There's probably a lot more. Sure. If you have any questions or phrases that come up that you want to maybe hear about uh, or any acronyms and stuff, put them in the comments. I, maybe I, we'll accumulate some for another one later I, I on. think I think the concept of acronyms is a wholly governmental-based thing. Oh, it's a military thing. Right, a military thing. But I also have acronyms in my business, which is government. Yeah. And I feel like we almost look for acronyms to create so that I can name something cool, right? Well, yeah, government and, definitely does. And that also happens in the private sector somewhat, but... In essence, the acronyms that are used are intended to create an image of what it represents that allows you to recall it quickly, right? And that's the same thing in war games. Or at least it's just easier to say, because no one wants to say, like, well, combat results table. Yeah. All the time, right? Yeah. It's OCS, we're going to roll it on a CRT with a DRM. What's the column shift? I know what that means. Someone else would be like, what? But it's yep. a much quicker way to communicate in what's already a fairly long format. Hobby yeah. As well. 
I, I, I do like acronyms and I'm not, I'm not ashamed that we use them, no. but I do think it's important sometimes to explain to those that are not informed what those mean so that they are less daunting because they can be daunting. Yeah, when we go to conventions, we end up teaching a lot of games to new people or playing with new people. And mm -hmm. I'm very cognizant about the way that I talk about games sure. with those people in those situations. When it's you two, uh, us two playing a game down here, yeah. it's just all Acronym City, games, yeah, yeah. You know. and, and, and that's what happens once you get into war games. And you, I mean, we've been playing them for 10 years now, and it, it's, it's amazing the things that you take for granted that when you say certain things, I completely and implicitly understand what that refers to. And one thing I do appreciate is that there are, there are some, and it's typically in like big games, there are big games that will have a full glossary of mm -hmm. a lot of what we've talked about with yeah. like stated definitions for that game, but a lot of it can be generalized as well. Yeah. And I really like when a game has a glossary because I just think it adds that extra layer of accessibility. Yeah. Like I still have to read those and especially in, like, Ancients or Medieval or Napoleonics games where I'm not as well-versed in some of the stuff. And they'll sure. talk about, like, this particular type of thing. I'm like, what on earth is that? Yeah. Sorry, done. Sure. So I, really I get it now. Games yeah. So anyway, acronyms, yeah. jargon. <laughs> There's a lot of it. Hopefully that was helpful to someone. I hope it wasn't too boring. And if it but... was... Thanks for watching anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let us know if there's more. Or yeah, I'm sure we missed some. Another series, another video on this later on down the line might be helpful with more stuff in it because there's a lot of different terms I think we could discuss. Sure. But uh, appreciate you sticking with us at least. And uh, thanks for watching. Appreciate you tuning in. I've been Alexander for the And I'm Grant. <laughs>